I'd like to tell some stories this week, and I'd like us to, to talk about what those stories are telling us. And these are stories of trusting God. And most of the stories I'm telling today are from the Bible, and the first one I wanted to talk about is this guy. Can anybody tell me who this guy is? Abraham. Yeah, that's right. We know it's Abraham because he has a boy and a donkey with him. Well, the, the, uh, let me tell you the story of Abraham, and uh, we can talk about what the challenges that he's facing are. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, at this point he was called Abraham, go from your country and your kindred in your father's house to the land where I will show you. Now, he was living in a place called Ur, which was a, quite a prosperous city. There was a city where there was, we can now, even though it was uh, 5,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, we can, we can look at the remains now, archaeological remains, and we can see that in the main street they had banks, they had businesses. It was, it was quite a well-organized, prosperous city. And he, he and his family lived in the city, and they were probably involved in business there. One day God appeared to him and said, Go from your country from your kindred, from your father's house to the land where I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So... Um, I'm going to tell several stories. In each story, I want us to ask the same questions. So basically, in in a single sentence, what was God asking him to do? Sorry? Go somewhere. somewhere. That's right. Uh, Leave where he was and go somewhere else. Now, let me ask you, what were the the reasons that might have made him reluctant to do this? Okay, family. That's good. He's not, no, he's not very young. He's 75, yeah. What else? Yeah? He didn't know what lay ahead. Yeah, like he couldn't see pictures on the internet of what it was like where he was going. It was a completely unknown mystery. Yeah, I'm sure he didn't have a map. That's right. It was a very high risk situation. Um, you know, you can categorize people, and some people are, are high-risk people. They love taking risks, and some are low-risk people. They don't really like risk. They like everything planned out, and we all tend to fall on that spectrum. But even somebody who's happy with risk, this is a massive risk that he's being asked to take. So, um, what, so, so uh, what did trusting God look like in this situation? He trusted God. What did that look like? Well, that's not really a very hard question. It looked like, yeah, packing his bags up, making plans, saying goodbye, following through all the things that needed to be done, leaving where he was, and setting off. And um, so how might this relate to us today? How might uh, a challenge like this be something that, that might have some similarities in our lives today? As you can guess, it's going to be very interactive today. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay, so God might ask us to move somewhere. Can we make it a little bit more general than that? He might ask us to, to do something new. He might ask us to take a risk. He might ask us to do something that is completely different to what we've ever done before. And it may be a step into the unknown. Anybody here ever had to take a step into the unknown? You have. Do you want to tell us about it? <laughs> you don't have to. It's okay. Is it... Is it Okay, moving to Toronto. Yeah, that's right. Although you did move to Sackville Street, so. <laughs> uh, anybody, you say you took a step into the unknown. Actually, both of you did, yeah? In fact, a lot of people here have moved to Canada, and that would have been a step in the unknown, moving from where the country you were into Canada. And uh, Artin has just taken a huge step into the unknown, coming from Iran to Canada. So, so um, this is a, a picture of what it is like to become a Christian. Because becoming a Christian is a step into something new on the basis of what God is asking you to do. So I'm going to move on to another story. This is a guy called Naaman. Naaman was a, a, a king. Oh, sorry, not a king. He was the captain of an army of, a, of Syria. Now, Syria was... A, different country to what it is today, but it was still situated in the same kind of place. And the, it's north of Israel. And there was a, a lot of animosity between Israel and Syria back in the times, the Old Testament times. And uh, there, was, there was wars going on between them. And when they were faithful to God, God defended them against the Syrians. But but as time went on, they became less faithful to God. And at one point, the, uh, the Syrians were, had raided Israel and they had taken a lot of captives, a lot of slaves. And one of the slaves they'd taken was the little girl that you can see in the foreground of this picture. And the story, the, the event that happened was this. Uh, Naaman caught leprosy. And leprosy is a a disease that would eventually lead to him dying. But worse than that, the the only way you could deal with leprosy was to be, was to put the person completely, segregate them away from society. And they were considered unclean. It was a horrible thing to have. It was to be, to have leprosy was to be unclean and rejected. And he had leprosy. Well, um, this was a tragedy for him. uh, But the little slave girl said to him, she said, um, there's a man in Israel who can heal. He's called Elisha. He's a man of God. And he can pray to God and God can heal your leprosy. And so Naaman um, took this seriously. And he headed down to Israel. And he first of all, he went to the king's house. And the king said, well, it's not me. It's that prophet over there. And he went to the prophet's house. And we, get, we read the story at the prophet's house. Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he'd surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not, and then he complains about the river he's been asked to wash in. Are not Abana and Parfa, the rivers of Damascus, better 
than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. So let's ask, to start with, what is God asking Naaman to do? Not, it's not just washing in the, in the Jordan, but what does that entail? Yeah, giving up his prejudice and giving up his pride because he has to do this in front of all of these people in the land that he's been conquering and he has to go down and take his clothes off and go down into the river. So it's a very humiliating thing to do. Uh, so so uh, what, what is there that you can see is, is stopping him following God in this, in this story? What is it that's stopping him? Well, what's made him angry? Well, they have bare rivers at home, but also, what else has made him angry in this story? Yes, he feels he's being treated disrespectfully here. Are you going to say the same thing? Yeah, that's right. All he gets is the messenger. He feels that he's not being treated with the honor that he deserves to be. Um, so here's there's a choice. Trusting God is very simple. Trusting God means going and washing in the in the in the river, and not trusting God means just going back home again. So the the outcome was that his servants reasoned with him, and they said, "Look, if he'd asked you to do some great thing, you'd have done it. Why not do this? Like, what have you got to lose?" And he goes and washes, and it says his skin becomes as new as a baby's skin. It completely gets rid of all his leprosy. And so he, uh, he does respond to God in that. So how might this relate to us today? What kind of thing in that it, it might we have that, that is parallel? Yeah. Okay. So we may have a preconception just like he did about, about what is good and, and we, that can stunt our walk with God. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. We can be proud. And what, and how might that, that block us in our lives? Exactly. <clears throat> Certain things are beneath us. Certain things are not what we should be doing. Yeah. Um. Right. That's very good. Sometimes we want God to answer in a big, spectacular way and not by actually something very, very mundane. Right. That's good. Yeah. And I think sometimes we think that mm. prayer from this person is going to be better than prayer from that person. Right. Exactly. That's a very good point, yes. Sometimes you have people, uh, after a meeting, they want prayer, but it's the big guy they want prayer for them, not just some some other person, because somehow that's more powerful. They have an in with God, whereas, you know. So, uh, yeah, that's very true. So I think this, this Naaman problem infects most of us, that we all want to be treated big and important, and um, we actually, it's, it's through humility that we receive the blessing. <clears throat> and so when he was willing to be humble and step down, that is when he got the blessing. So, <clears throat> okay, so that was Naaman. Tell me if you, you can know who this 
Oh, no, 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 we're not quite there yet. Right, can anybody guess who this is? No. No. It's, okay, it's, it's in the New Testament. It's, it's, it's not quite Matthew. No. It's a man who came to Jesus. If I say he's young, hmm? the rich young ruler, that's right. So this is a man who came to Jesus, and this man came, and it says, a certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give a false testimony. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've wholeheartedly obeyed all these laws since my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all you have. Give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Okay, so... God is asking, it's very clear what Jesus is asking him to do. He's asking him to sell everything he has and give the money away. Now, what might be the things that are blocking him doing this? Yeah. Right, his love of his personal wealth. Yes, what else? Yeah. Well, the things he's looking forward to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, now, I put a picture of money up there, but of course, it was more possessions than money that he had. People didn't have, tend to have bank accounts in those days. It was, although they might keep a certain amount of gold, but it was really his possessions. So, what, he's having to get rid of his possessions. So, what's going through his mind? Okay, that's the security. What do I do when it's, when it's hard, when there's no work next year? What do I do? So he might like to hoard stuff. Yeah, that's right. What, so what else? What, what other feelings do you think might be going through his mind at this time? Yeah? Okay, okay loss of status. That's very, that's very good. What were the kind of people that were following Jesus? What kind of people were they? Yeah. They were fishermen. They were... Um, they were just ordinary people with, with ordinary jobs. And Jesus is really saying to him, if you, you've got to become, if you're going to follow me, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb if you're the wealthy one and they've all got nothing. If you want to be one of my followers, one of my community, you need to, to be like that. Now, um, so it's actually a very practical reason why, Jesus, why he had to do this. Very practical because it really wouldn't be possible to be part of Jesus' community and retain his wealth. Also, Jesus' community was uh, was demonstrating God supernaturally providing for them. As we have some other stories to tell that, but they were living in that provision, and he couldn't be doing that if he already had his wealth. Now, is God calling all of us to to sell everything that we have? Yeah. I don't think so. Okay. Phew. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 So, yeah. 
That's that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So there are some other examples of wealthy people who who were, who used their wealth but didn't sell everything, but they used their wealth for God's purposes. Yeah. So I think it's it's clear that Jesus is specifically asking this person to do it. And also, we mustn't separate the last four words of "Then come, follow me," because following Jesus and giving away his possessions are two sides of the same thing. And Jesus called us. He said, "Take up your cross and follow me." And uh, so it's it do something and follow me. And he said to a number of people, like another one was, um, say goodbye to your father and follow me. And so there's a leaving behind that is necessary for that person in order to follow Jesus. So there, if we can try and generalize the question today, um, well, actually, no, let's step back. What do you think might be keeping him from from doing that? Yeah. Okay. Well, I also, I think for, we, we picked up earlier on the risk that Abraham was taking, and there would be a, a high risk in doing this. Plus, there's a level of comfort that he was used to. And if you've been used to comfort in your life, stepping down to a living without those comforts is hard to do. There's no going back. You can't go to around all the poor people and say, oh, could I have my money back, please? It was actually a mistake. I'm, I, I've changed my mind. It's, it's a one-way process that he's going through. So what might God be calling us to do, which not necessarily selling everything, but, but one that has got this quite kind of a cost in our lives? Yeah? Yeah? It could be giving up a job or your home. Yeah? Yeah? Okay. Well, I'm glad you picked up on that because that is actually going to, my, going to be my key for what, where it runs through all of these. So you get an extra point for, for spotting that. But uh, so, so really, there's a risk, and the risk that he's taking here only is going to work if Jesus is going to come through at the end. This is this is really the the um, the bottom line because if he takes a step and it turns out Jesus is wrong. He's lost everything. This is true for Abraham. This is true for all of these people. That when God calls us to take a step, it's like dying. It's like he's dying to all of his wealth. He's dying to the person that he was. And Jesus talks about taking up your cross. He says it's like a death. He says, he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And so it's like dying. And then it's like Jesus raising us up again. And at the end of this story in Luke 18, he says exactly that, because um, Peter says, well, haven't we left everything and followed you? And Jesus says, yes, and you will receive many times more, even in this life, than you left if you follow me. But you, you don't know that unless you trust Jesus. So what is a common factor in all of these is that God is taking, calling us to take a step. And the question is, can we trust him? Because if we can trust him, then we will end up being better off, much better off. If we can't trust him, we'll have lost everything. It's a kind of a death. Do you see the, 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 the key there? Now, that is what the gospel is. 
That is what it is to become a Christian. Because to become a Christian is to give up the old life and to say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you that this new life is actually the best life. I'm going to die to the old so that the new will, I will live in the new. So, so let's move on to the next story and, um, everybody except Anne can tell me who this is because Anne's already guessed. Anybody know? Zacchaeus, yes. So some of you have, some of you who've been brought up through kids Sunday school probably heard this story. Uh, the story is this. That Zacchaeus was a very little man. There's a song. Zacchaeus was a very little man, and a very little man was he. Anyway, <laughs> so Zacchaeus, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree. So, because <laughs> Jesus, he wanted to see. Save it, yeah. Anyway, so he was a little man, and there were all these crowds of people, and he couldn't see Jesus because he was too small. And they couldn't see over their heads. I don't know if any of you are vertically challenged and have that same problem. Who You've ever been in a group of people and you just can't see because all the pe- people like me are blocking your view. Well, that's what he was like. He was so frustrated and he could see Jesus was coming. And he knew that by the time Jesus got here, he would miss everything. So he decided to climb up into a tree where he could see Jesus and maybe he could be hidden as well. Because he wanted to see Jesus, but maybe not have Jesus make some challenges on his life. And he was not living a good life. He was living a bad life. Because what he'd done is he'd collaborated with the Roman oppressors. The Romans were running military control of the land. And in order to get money from people they would bribe some of the local people to turn on their fellow people and to be tax collectors. And these people were hated by the the Jews because they were collaborating with the Romans and helping the Romans take tax from their own people. And they were, they were despised by the Romans because the Romans thought, saw them as being traitors anyway. So this is what Zacchaeus was. So... Uh, so he saw Jesus was coming. He climbed up, up into a tree, and we can pick up the story. He entered uh, Jericho, was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief, chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was as small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him. He said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And I believe the song goes. Yes. Okay. So, so the story goes that the account unfolds. Actually, we can read the account. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled and said, he, Jesus, has gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. So they're very upset with Jesus of actually going to, to this person. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold, four times as much. That would be a good tax rebate to get, wouldn't it? Four times what you owe. But what they owe you, they're going to quadruple it and give it you back. So this is what he's going to do. Quadruple tax rebates for everybody. 
And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to his house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has came to seek and to save the lost. So, um, uh, it doesn't clearly say what Jesus was asking him to do, but it was pretty much implied that Jesus was asking him to turn from a life of, of uh, deceit and, and wrongfulness to a life of, uh, of serving God. Um, so, what were, what were the things that might prevent him from following Jesus? Getting stuck in the tree. Okay, I hadn't thought of that, Jeff. <laughs> okay. Um, actually preventing him from, okay, once he's got down from the tree. Yeah, it's the same as the rich you're in your life, except he's not asked to give up everything. He only gives up half, and that's voluntary. Jesus doesn't, um, doesn't um, require that of him. Um, but the, clearly there's a response, and he's, he's decided to dramatically change his life. Instead of going this way, he's going this way, because he believes that Jesus' answer is in that. So uh, this, this guy is called Herod. Um, Herod was the, the king at the time when Jesus began his ministry. And uh, uh, John the Baptist um, preached to, spoke directly to Herod. And do you know what John the Baptist said to Herod that he should do? Herod was behaving in a very wrong way at this time. Yeah, he decided to, to take his brother's taking his brother's wife off him, yes. So his, his wife, Herodias, was actually his brother's wife, and he'd married his brother's wife. That's right. But, and so John the Baptist said, you need to, to give up that marriage because it's wrong. And so this was, the, this was the, uh, the, the, the challenge that he had. Now, of course, this was hard to do because I'm sure he loved her. It was a, he, he enjoyed the relationship, but it was wrong. It was something that was a completely wrong relationship, and he was being asked to give that up. So, um, what was his response to this this challenge? Does anybody know? He put John in prison and then cut his head off. That's right. So, that was a negative response to the challenge of following Jesus. Now, let's uh, look at that one, a uh, couple more. Um, this guy, this is Paul. Um, not a very good photograph, but uh, you'll have to bear with me on that. <laughs> so he's writing one of his epistles there. Um, so, so Paul, Paul was a, a rabbi. He was, um, he was very, very highly trained, highly skilled, and up and coming. And he might have ended up by being the chief rabbi. He was, he was such a brilliant man. He had a brilliant career, very well respected, and um, he was. Uh, he d- describes some of his credentials. Uh, if these are his credentials, I'll start reading verse five. I was circumcised on the eighth day from the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews. I lived according to the law of Pharisee. In my zeal for God, I persecuted the church according to the righteousness stipulated in the law. I was blameless. So he he did everything as perfectly as he knew how to, and got a huge amount of respect. Now. He was trying to kill Christians because he believed that uh, that Christians were against God. He believed that Jesus was uh, was not 
the son of God, that Jesus was a liar. And so he was trying to, to kill Christians. And he was hunting the Christians down. In the middle of a journey, hunting them down, Jesus appeared to him in a blinding flash of light. And he fell to the ground and Jesus said to him, it's me that you're actually killing. It's me. You're persecuting me. And as a result of that, so he, so he was, Jesus gave him this challenge. So, uh, as a result of that, he completely changed his lifestyle and became a Christian. So let's think then at this point when Paul is confronted by Jesus, Jesus appears to him and says to him, stop what you're doing, follow me. What's, what's the, the, the difficulties facing Paul at this time if he was to follow Jesus? He would lose the respect of everybody who he knows. Everybody he knows. I don't know if you've been in a situation where you've lost respect to people around you, maybe because they know that you're a Christian. Uh, but we can, that can be a cost that we have to follow. But he had it to an extreme because he, he lost respect to the, because he became the opposite. He became the very thing that he was, was persecuting, the very thing that he was hating, he became. And so, uh, uh, so what then would, in order to follow Jesus, what would he have to do? What would he actually have to do? <clears throat> well, I want to suggest to you that it actually looked like um, publicly identifying himself as a Christian. He couldn't say, uh, just go, go quietly around and say, well, he's actually, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just not doing so much Pharisee stuff nowadays. I'm kind of, yeah, yeah, just, uh, he couldn't do that. He actually had to publicly identify with a Christian, which nearly got him killed. In fact, several times they nearly tried to kill him because it was the worst thing that he could have done. Um, Artin was a Muslim and he became a Christian and uh, that can get the death penalty in many countries because you're, it, you're, it's okay to be a Christian, but if you're one and then you become the other, that's the very worst. And this is what Paul did. And so the cost was huge. And so this was a risk. And the only way that he could take this risk was, did he trust in Jesus? Did he trust in this person? You think there are two possible lives he has in front of him at this point. He could say, no, I'm going to carry on doing what I'm doing and keep my respect, keep my high position, my career. Or I'm going to throw everything away, risk dying and join this bunch of people that everybody hates and, and, and maybe get killed. And he had this choice, and he chose to take the high risk to believe that if he did that, actually that would be the better route. And it was. That turned out to be the, the most, uh, he became the most extraordinary leader in early Christianity that there was. In fact, he laid the foundations for all of Christianity as we know it through the words that, that Jesus went on to give him. And so what he had to do, he said he had to regard all of the things that were his assets as nothing, they had to be seen as liabilities. Well, I'm actually going to skip through the next story just for, for uh, lack of time. I was going to tell you the story of the people in Athens, and uh, we'll just skip that. And I'm going to say, what about your story? I'm going to say, what is God asking you to do? I want to challenge you this morning. Um, because the Jesus always asks us, to do something which looks like death. And he says, if you do this, I will give you life. 
Now, it might not be a huge death. It might not be the kind of death that Paul was being challenged to. It might be some literal dying. It might be, might be sacrificing some um, comfort that we have, like the, the rich young ruler was asked to sacrifice all of his comforts. It might be some level of comfort that you're being called to. It might be that you're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I want you to follow me. What does it cost to follow Jesus? Well, it costs, it costs losing your present life and saying, I want you to be my life. I want to give my life to you. I want you to tell me how to live my life. I'm going to submit my life to you. That is what becoming a Christian is. And that is a risk. Because to do that, you have to trust that Jesus is the life, that he is the way, that he is the truth, that he knows the answers. You have to trust that. And so becoming a Christian is taking a step and saying, I'm going to step from where I am into trust, into believing that your way is the right way. That your way brings hope and life and the best. And the old way does not. The old way leads to, to emptiness and leads to brokenness. And so it's taking that step. Um, and I, need, I want you to ask, what is blocking you? What is stopping you from from doing what God is asking you to do. In a minute, we're going to take some time to pray, and we're going to ask God to show each one of you what it is that he's asking you to do, what's blocking you, what you need to turn from, because there's always a turning from and a turning to. Paul was turning from his old life to his new life. Naaman, the man with leprosy, was turning from his pride and self-sufficiency down into being humble and obeying God. And so the question that comes out of that is, what would your life look like if you were trusting and following Jesus? What would be different about your life if you would do that? And all of these stories are ones that are calling us to making this choice, making this decision. And when it comes down to it, just as you said, it's about trust. That is the word. It's about trust. Can I trust Jesus? Can I trust God? Because if you can't, then of course you won't, you won't make the step. But if you can, if you believe him, and he says that, that what I give to you is far better than what you're leaving behind, then the trust is rewarded. So can we all stand? And I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to have a short time of silence where you can pray, and then I'm going to close in prayer. Thank you, God, that you are trustworthy. Thank you that when you ask us to do something, you will always reward us many, many more times. Thank you, God, that we can take a risk for you, and it will not really be a risk because you are much more secure than where we are today. Father, I pray that you will reveal to each one of us, show us where you want us to trust you more. Show us where you want us to, what step you want us to take of trust. Now just take a moment, just say to, to God, please show me how I can trust you more. Just ask him that. Now you may, you may feel something that's come up. Some way that God is showing you, you may not at this time, there may be some things that may come up in this week that God may remind you. But um, what I want you to do is to say, God, what is, what is stopping me? Or you can ask yourself, what is stopping me from taking that step? Why? What is keeping me back from this? 
And now I'm just going to pray. God, we pray that you would give us the faith, give us the trust to, to take the steps that you're asking us to. Give us this faith, Lord. We know that faith is a gift from you. We can't build the strength up ourselves, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.